All right, John chapter 6. Let's open up in prayer. Father, we just come before you, Lord, to thank you for who you are. Lord, for your great mercy, your great love towards us, Lord, that you've shown to us and you've proven to us, Lord. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message that you've given us here today, Lord. I pray, Father, that you just speak to each one of us individually, Lord, as there are hurting hearts, Lord, as there are storms in, uh, in, in the lives of these people here today, Lord, whatever they're going through, Father, may you minister to them. May you speak to them, Lord, through your miracles, through your wonders, through your love. And Lord, we just ask your Holy Spirit be present with us, Lord. I pray, Father, you give me the words, Lord, that you just speak loud and clear here tonight. Bless those, Lord, who are on their way here. Grant them traveling mercies and, and on the way home as well, Father. May you just get us home safely tonight. We love you, we honor you, and we glorify you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. All right, John chapter 6. So today we're going to see the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. We know that like John the Gospel, as I mentioned, he, the, John the Gospel writer, he, he specifically selects seven miracles of Jesus. And these miracles, they're, they're all selected for a very specific reason. Helping Jesus... Uh, uh, fulfill this, this specific purpose, the purpose of what? Of our salvation, the result of our salvation. And we've seen already the first three signs so far that have been illustrated to us that a person is saved through what? Through the word of God, that a person is saved uh, by faith, that a person is saved by grace, and here the fourth sign, the feeding of the 5,000, it shows us that salvation, it satisfies the inner need of our hearts. We all have that void. We all have that, that, that need of Jesus. And Jesus here, being that, uh, being that need, he, he, he's the bread of life. And this miracle, it also reminds us that while salvation is of the Lord, and salvation is only given to us by grace. God can and he will use human instruments to take the gospel to the world. And we see that here because we see that Jesus gives the bread and the fish to his disciples to pass out. Sharing it with the people. And Paul says in Romans 10:14, uh, he says, How shall they hear without a preacher? So God uses man he uses uh, man as instruments to preach the gospel. And if only you know, we can all be like this little lad that we're going to see here today through this miracle. If only we can be, it's funny, we read through this, I'm sure a lot of us have read this story, but we just read past the, the little lad. But when you look at it, if only we can all be like this little lad that we're going to see in verse 9 who gives us... Uh, the, the, who gives all that he has to the Lord. The five barley loaves, the two fish, that's all he had and he gave it all to the Lord and the, what will the Lord do? He's gonna take it, he'll break it, he'll multiply it and he uses it to bless others. And then that's the same with our lives. Even if you don't have much to offer him, whatever you have, if you give it all to him, he will use it. 
I promise you he'll use it. He'll multiply it. And he'll use your life to bless others and bring many more to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And this one miracle here, it was so impactful. It, 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 this, this one miracle has such a great message to it that is actually the only miracle that is written in every gospel, in all four gospels. This is the only miracle that, that is throughout all four gospels. And so notice, first we're going to see the preparation for the miracle. There's a preparation uh, that Jesus begins to prepare for this miracle. And we start in verse 1. We'll go through verse 2. It says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were deceased. If you notice as you read through the gospel, the, the records of, of, of the gospel, note that Jesus, he was never really impressed by the, these crowds, these multitude pe- of people that followed him. He was never really impressed by them. Because as John mentioned in, in earlier, when we saw in chapter 2, John mentions that Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. You see, Jesus knew their motive wasn't pure. And, the mo- and that most of these that followed him, in order, they, they followed him just to see miracles and wonders. Their motive to follow him was not pure, and therefore, d- don't be deceived by the, this popularity that we see here um, with the multitude. Uh, even in the church today, sometimes the popularity we see, um, we we there we need to have discernment towards that because very few people want him as Lord and Savior. Not everybody will wants, not everybody loves Christ as their Lord and Savior. Many want him only as a healer or a provider. You know, a lot of times uh, people just want him around in case they need rescuing from whatever they're going through. He becomes, uh, like Ryan Reese said, a genie to them. Just give me, give me. But if you want to really know the type of follower that Jesus requires, go to Luke 14. That's a, write that verse down, read it on, on your own time. That's the, when Jesus describes, he gives uh, in that chapter the type of Christian, the type of person that that Christ wants following him and the, the type of people he doesn't want following him. And so verse three through six, notice it says, and Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. And now the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Notice verse six, but this he said to him, for he himself knew what he would do. Notice the problem. It was how to meet the needs of this huge crowd. How to meet the needs of such a huge amount of people. But also notice Jesus already knew how he was going to meet the needs of the people. Jesus already knew this. Jesus also says in Matthew 6, 8, Your father knows the things you need before you ask him. He knows already, you know, and since we've already established that Jesus is equal to the Father, 
He already knows what we need before we ask because Jesus is God and sometimes he's going to wait. Sometimes he will wait to give us what we need so that he might test us. Sometimes he'll wait as he, he was here, as we're going to see later today in the storm, he was walking to his disciples and he waits for them to invite him. He will wait to test our faith. Because notice he says, but this he said to test him, to test Philip. Jesus wants to use every opportunity that he can to teach his disciples, to teach us about faith in him. You know, Philip, he, he, he had already seen Jesus do many miracles. He's seen him do many uh, wonders by now, so there should be no question, that he should have no question to, uh, about the divine resources that Jesus had. And, and, and uh, you know, I think about this is, how would you have answered the question? If Jesus says, where shall we buy bread? And you see this multitude of people. How would you have answered this question? Do you believe Jesus today to have the power, to have the divine resources to do the impossible in your life? How would I have answered that? You know, I, I began to judge Philip real quickly. It's like, come on, man, you're... <laughs> You're before the Lord. You're, you've seen Jesus. How could you have not known that he can do the impossible? But don't be so quick to judge Philip on his response. Many of us today see, see impossibilities in our life, and what do we do? We immediately begin to panic. We begin to worry. We need to understand that nothing happens in our lives. Nothing happens in your life without Jesus knowing about it. Nothing. Therefore, that impossibility, that trial, that storm, whatever it is that has been placed before you, it's for a reason to test you. How are you going to respond to it? Many people, as we see, don't respond to Jesus at all. Many Christians won't respond to Jesus. But as believers in Jesus, how should we respond? How are we to respond? Lord, I don't know. It's simple. Lord, I don't know. I can't do it. But you have the power. You, you have the divine resources. This should have been Philip's response. The heavens, the heavens, heavens cannot contain you. This is but a small matter to you, to feed these 5,000. We are limited, but Christ is limitless. And we need to believe that when we come when we face these, these trials, these, these testings in our life, and notice the response. Four solutions were given to the problem here. Verse seven through nine, notice, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. 
one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? The first solution we see is actually in the Gospel of Mark. We see it in chapter 6, verses 35 through 36, where the disciples suggest that Jesus send the people away. Lord, get rid of the problem. Just get rid of them. And how many times do we just say, Jesus, get rid of this problem in our lives. Just get rid of it. I want nothing to do with it. And so we fail to see the greater lesson that Jesus is trying to do in our lives to teach us. We always desire the easy, fast way out, don't we? We're so resistant to what Christ is trying to do in our lives because of our fear of the pain and suffering that may come from it, but embrace that. Embrace what Christ is trying to do in your life and hear the disciples' excuses. Just get rid of them. A lot of times the easy way out, it's not always going to be the best way out because Jesus knew that sending away this hungry crowd would, would, would hurt them. Why? Because they've been there all day and it was evening and sending them away would cause them harm. They would faint. And that's not what Jesus wanted for them. That's not the message he wanted to give. And so this was not the solution to the problem. And the second solution came from Philip's response to the Lord's test question. Notice, to raise enough money to buy food for the people. That was his response. Philip, he calculated the cost and decided they would need the equivalent of 200 days wages. And then he says even that wouldn't be enough. Notice, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. And, you know, we can say that Philip, his knowledge, his way of like calculating it uh, of this situation was actually pretty accurate and actually pretty impressive on how he calculated. But notice, even in, in all his knowledge, all this knowledge he had was useless in getting the problem solved. And too often, you know, we, we think that money is the answer to every need and every problem. A lot of times, yeah, I think, t- I think that sometimes we're like, man, if only I had a million dollars, oh man, all the problems would go away. It would w- make life so much easier. Philip here, he thought in terms of money and how much money it would take to carry out God's, wor- uh, God's work, but notice, in a small way, in just a small way. Notice he said that every one of them may have just a little. Just a little. How often do we limit God in the same way? Oh, Lord, it, you, the, there's this problem, but maybe if you can do it this way, I can barely squeeze out of it. We look at how big the problem is and then limit God by trying to figure out the smallest way possible of fixing the problem. 
And that's what Philip was doing here. You can't think that way. You know, God wants to magnify himself in your life. He wants to magnify himself to the, uh, in all the world, so he's never going to limit himself to our understanding and our expectations. We should always expect to see wonders from him. And so Jesus here, he planned on using a complete different approach and providing a much bigger way. Therefore, this was not the solution to the problem. The third solution came from Andrew, but wasn't, he wasn't too sure how the problem would be solved. Notice verse 9 again. He says, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Notice what he says, but what are they among so many? What is five loaves of bread and two small fish among 5,000? We're getting closer to the solution. Now they had five loaves of bread, two small fish, but again, what are they among so many? Andrew said. This was still not enough to work with. This was still not enough to solve the problem, but notice God doesn't need a lot. He doesn't need much. In fact, God doesn't need any help. God doesn't need any help in order to provide for you. He does not need your help. We need to understand that, that the sooner we realize that God doesn't need us to accomplish his will, the sooner we'll realize that we need him for all things. Sometimes it's best that we just stand still and just let God be God in our lives because we tend to get in his way so many times. We try to find all the solutions, but all the solutions are wrong until, notice the last solution. The fourth solution came from who? The Lord Jesus and I'll be, I tell you the truth, man, he is our only solution to all our needs, all our problems, all our trials, all our pain. He is the only solution. Don't try to come up with your own solution. Jesus is the solution for everything. I would write that down. Jesus is the solution for everything. Notice because of Jesus, 5,000 people were fed. Verse 10 through 11. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. Jesus took this little boy's lunch. He blessed it, broke it, and then he hands it to his disciples. Jesus only had a few loaves of bread and a few fish to work with, yet notice what he does. Yet he gave thanks 
to his father. Jesus thanked his father even for the little that he did have. Even the little, the five loaves of bread, the two fish, what did he do? He gave thanks. We need to be thankful for the little that we do have. We need to be thankful for what we do have, knowing that God will multiply it. He'll multiply it abundantly. But you have to surrender it all to the Lord. He will multiply it for you. And so it was in the hands of Jesus, it was in his hands that this miracle happened, not in the hands of the disciples. The little bit that we have is much in the hands of the Lord. The little that we have now, some of us are negative in our bank account. <laughs> but that I'm not talking about finances. The little that we have, if you give it to the Lord, he can multiply it exceedingly abundantly more if you use it for his glory. You don't need much to work you, you, you don't have to have much to do a work for God. You don't need food. You don't need finances. You don't need a car. You don't need shelter, transportation. All you need is to surrender all you have into the hands of Jesus. That's all you need. Trust him when you have much. Trust him when you don't have anything at all. You trust him. Here's a thought. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness for 40 days, he refused to miraculously make bread for himself. But what do we see here? Here, he did for others what he would not do for himself. Jesus, he was weary and tired when he met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, yet he says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. He was thirsty, yet he offers us the living water. Jesus refused to save his own life so that he can offer us eternal life. Jesus always used his miraculous power for others, for, for you guys, for, for his disciples, but as for himself, his humanity he bore his own infirmities. He bore his own trials so he kept himself back from relieving his own necessities. Think about that the next time that you're in great need. Think about how willing he is to provide for your every need. Just think about it. Whatever you need right now, whatever you're going through, he is so willing to provide for you. Notice the multitude was given as much as they wanted. Notice it says as much as they wanted. God's supply, it's, gosh, what's the word? Extravagant. 
God can provide exceedingly, abundantly more than you can ask or think. That is my favorite verse, Ephesians 3.20. They all ate until they were completely satisfied and more. These, these are the blessings that, that we as children of God, these are the treasures that we have as children of God. Expect much, expect bigger and better things in your life. Don't limit what God can do in your life. I love what Pastor Jesse, before he passed, I love what he said. He says, God will use you as much as you allow him to. God will take you as far as you will allow him to. That always stuck with me. Begin with what you have. Be sure to give them all. All of it. Just like the little lad here. Don't forget what he did and the blessings that he got out of this as well. You know, it was already a big lunch for him. This little lad had five loaves of bread and two fish. It was already a lot. But he gave it all to Jesus and the return was more than he ever expected. Notice verse 12 through 13. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the, frag- frag- excuse me, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the, fra- the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. What does Jesus demonstrate to us right here? He shows us the giving character of God. His character to give to his children. God can and wants to and will do exceedingly abundantly more. All we have to do is simply have faith. Have faith in him. And so notice the way the people react to this miracle. Verse 14, it says, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Notice the the way Jesus provided bread for the multitude here reminded them of how God worked through Moses to feed Israel with manna. And Moses predicted the coming of the prophet in Deuteronomy 18.5. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. And so if the coming prophet was to be like Moses, it made sense that he would also feed the people miraculously as Moses did. And, And the thing is that they were right. This, this is the prophet that Moses prophesied about. This is him. However, where they were wrong was that they were only willing to support Jesus as long as he gave them what they wanted. The bread, the signs, the wonders. They only wanted to support him as long as he gave them 
what they wanted. But it, again, it's, it's easy to criticize these people on how they only love Jesus for the bread he gave them when often we only love Jesus and seek him for what he can give us sometimes or what we can get from him. We should love him simply for who he is, our Lord, our Savior, our God. And so these people wanted to make him king in their lives for all the wrong reasons. And Jesus, again, knew this. Notice verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. You see, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus was not always impressed or seduced by by these multitudes that followed him. Instead, what did he do? He turned his back on the crowd and went to pray. He went to pray because Jesus was more interested in being with his father than hearing the applause of this spiritually blind crowd. And I love this quote by Henry Morris on this verse. He said, He who is already king has come to open up his kingdom to men. But in their blindness, men try to force him to be the king of king they want. Thus, they fail to get the king they want and also lose the kingdom he offers. Wow. And next, we're going to see the fifth sign of Jesus, the fifth miracle that illustrates to us the results of our salvation. Jesus calms the storm right here. The storm. We all know this story, the storm in our lives. And this sign here, it illustrates to us that salvation does what? When you are saved, it brings peace into our lives. What did Jesus say to the storm? He says, peace, be still. We don't see that here, but in the other gospels, he says, peace, be still. Verse 16 through 17, notice. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over to the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. If you notice, according to Mark 6.45, it says that Jesus compelled his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side. He compelled them, showing urgency from Jesus to get them away from this crowd. And I feel like it could be possible that Jesus saw that they were being drawn and they were being infected by this crowd's excitement. So we need to know that Jesus, notice, when he was sending them to cross the lake, don't you think he knew about the storm, right? So Jesus, knowing about the storm that was coming, he, many people think he deliberately led them into this storm but he did not deliberately lead his disciples into this dangerous storm, but instead removed them from this greater danger. What was the greater danger here? The danger of becoming like the multitudes here, spiritually blind. So he removed them by compelling them, get on the boat 
and cross the lake. Go. Because these people were trying to take Jesus and force him to be king. And he may have seen his disciples desiring the same thing. So he said, get on the boat and go. I know there's a storm coming. So when Jesus removes us from situations in our lives, sometimes we may end up in something that may seem worse. But we need to trust that he knows what's best for you. He knew what was best for his disciples. He knows what is best for us, and he's always working everything out for our good. Everything he he does, because notice there is a purpose also for this storm. There is always a purpose for the storms in our lives, the trials we go through. Even if we don't see the purpose and we just feel that we are abandoned by God, trust that he is with you. Trust that he's working all things out for your good. Sometimes the Lord has to balance our lives in order to protect us. In this case, he was protecting his disciples from being carried away by what? By pride. Because his disciples, they they experienced this joy in being part of this thrilling miracle. There's so much joy in doing a work for the Lord. Sometimes pride will begin to sneak in. And so now here they had to face a storm and they heard, I believe they trusted Jesus at this point, but now they had to trust him even more. So he sends them into this storm because the feeding of the 5,000 was only the lesson. And now the storm, it's the exam in their lives. He gives them the lesson. What does a teacher do? Before the, he gives you the exam, He gives you the lesson in order to what? To pass the exam, to pass the test. And now we see the test as they go into this storm. Verse 18, then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. And really quick, you know, sometimes we're we're caught in a storm because we've disobeyed the Lord. For example, Jonah. But sometimes the storm comes because we have obeyed the Lord wait a minute, what? Because of my obedience, I'm going into this storm, this trial. But to encourage you in what we're going to see next, that we can be sure that Jesus is praying for us, that we can be sure that he will come to us, we can be sure that he will deliver us through your storms. Notice verse 19. So when they had rowed about three or four miles They saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were afraid. I always wondered why they were afraid. But if you notice in Mark 6, 49 through 50, it says that the disciples were afraid because they thought Jesus was a ghost. So it seems they were afraid because they were really they weren't really expecting any kind of supernatural. They weren't expecting supernatural help. All they knew was that Jesus commanded them to get in the boat and meet him on the other side. That's all they knew. So 
without thinking, they didn't think that they were going to get any help from Jesus. They thought they were supposed to meet him on the other side. So it startled them to see supernatural help coming from Jesus. It's funny because sometimes we don't expect to see the supernatural work of Christ in our lives. Sometimes we don't expect it, but I think if you truly are a follower of or a disciple of Jesus, you need to expect the supernatural work of Jesus in our lives. You should expect it. The supernatural, it, it should never startle us. It should never scare us when God sends us to do a work for him. Jesus here always gave his disciples signs and reminders, and he gives us signs and reminders to trust his supernatural help, to trust him. And, and I'm sure on, on the boat here, I'm sure they had at least one of the 12 baskets that, that the, with the leftover bread. I'm sure they had at least one, and they should have been able to look at the basket and remember about the supernatural work that Jesus had just done. Yet they were shocked, they were startled. But notice the calming, gentle words of Jesus. Verse 20, he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Sometimes, what more do we need to hear? If you're, if you're going through a storm in your life right now, what more do you simply need to hear than, than Jesus say, it is I, do not be afraid. What more do we need as we navigate through the storms of life? Remember these words that Jesus says, it is I. He says, don't be afraid. Whatever you're going through, it is I. Notice, not only should we see and expect the supernatural work of Jesus, but we should expect the supernatural comfort that comes from Jesus, the comfort, the peace, the joy in our lives, because to have peace and joy when your life seems to be in some kind of turmoil when you have that peace, it's nothing more than a supernatural work in your life. When your life is a mess, when you're in a storm, when everything seems out of control, but you have so much peace because you know who is with you. That is a supernatural feeling. And as children of God, we should expect this. We need to be ready to see the wonders of Jesus through the storms of our life. And honestly, personally, I've come to appreciate the storms in my life. Because that's when I feel the closest to Jesus. That's when I feel the closest to him. Don't fear those storms, those trials in your life. Don't fear them. Use them. Use them to draw near to draw closer to him and allow him to draw closer to you. Sometimes that's all he wants. Sometimes that's why he allows these things in our lives so we can simply look to him, so we can draw closer to him. And don't be so quick to get out of those trials. Use them to strengthen your faith. 
Use them to trust him. I promise you that he will draw near to you. I promise you that you will know Jesus in a way that you've never known before. Notice the supernatural work, verses 21. He says, Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where he was going. Notice the implication here is that Jesus will not come into our lives until what? He is willingly received. Jesus will wait sometimes to be welcomed into our trials. Sometimes he'll wait in the storms we face. Jesus is there watching and waiting to see if we will willingly receive his help. And sometimes he's he's, he's gonna wait till we have frustrated all of our own attempts to get out of the storm. Sometimes he'll wait till you're exhausted, till you can't, paddle anymore, like the disciples here who rode and just felt like they were going nowhere. That's exactly how it is when we try to fix our own problems, right? Feels like we're getting nowhere. In my own life, I had plans. I had goals that I try to do on my own but yet that's not what God wanted. So I, I never went anywhere. I, I had multiple tr- tries in starting my own business, but they were m- consistently failing. Why? Because that's not what God had for my life. And maybe you're going through the same thing. Maybe you're, you're consistently attempting and trying to do something in your life, but maybe that's not what God has for your life. Jesus is going to wait for us to say, that's it, I give up. Jesus, please come help me. Sometimes he waits, and I hit rock bottom when I said, Jesus, help me. And notice, as soon as they willingly received him into the boat, the miraculous the work that was so frustrating to the disciples a few moments before suddenly was divinely accomplished. Notice, immediately the boat was at the land. They teleported. I'm just kidding. But maybe this detail that is given to us here by John, the, the, uh, the writer of this gospel, It seems to tell us that the boat moved automatically. Notice, without any sails, without any oars, strictly only in obedience to the will of Jesus. Notice. It doesn't say, and then the disciples kept paddling to shore. It says, as soon as they willingly received him onto the boat, immediately they were at land. They were in safe, uh, safety, safely on land. Immediately. Without 
any work from the, the disciples. It was strictly only in obedience to the will of Jesus. So without any effort from the disciples, we see that the boat instantly went the remaining distance, arriving at the shore. And honestly, this is nothing less than an extraordinary divine miracle of deliverance from the Lord. Nothing less than that. Can you explain how the boat immediately got to the land? And so you see, when we try to do things in our own strength, in our own understanding, our work becomes futile. When you try to do things on your own, you're, you're, the, the work becomes futile, meaning pointless. It becomes pointless. And yes, Jesus desires a hardworking, committed disciple, but it's never apart from his will or his strength in our lives. Never. You'll, you'll paddle, you'll, you'll struggle, and you will not get anywhere. And that's where a lot of people, a lot of kids that we see nowadays, that they're stuck in this place that they feel like they can't get out of. And all they need to do is willingly receive Christ. That's the answer. That's the solution. Our work will become vain. It'll be in vain apart from Christ. Everything you do apart from Christ is in vain. Don't try to do anything apart from Christ. And a lot of times we do. Don't try to do anything apart from Christ because Jesus even says in John 15, 5, without me you can do nothing. I would take that very literally. Without him, you can do nothing. Without him, guess what? You can't even breathe. There's specific muscles in your body that you, guess what? You don't even think about doing when you do them, right? Like breathing. Do you think about, like I'm, right now, I'm thinking about touching my Bible. See, that I'm thinking about. But there's muscles in your body, like your heartbeat, that keeps you alive by pumping. Like when you go to bed, how do you know to breathe? Right? Guess what? Guess who's breathing for you? Guess who's beating your heart? Guess who's keeping you alive? Guess who's sustaining you? Apart from him, you literally can't do anything. Jesus is the sustainer of life. So don't try to do anything outside his will, apart from him, because you literally will get nowhere. Whatever you are going through today, whatever trials, whatever storms, willingly receive Jesus into your life. Willingly receive him into the boat, whatever boat that you're, you can't seem to get out of this storm, receive him. Not to get out of the storm as fast as possible. But I believe that when they willingly received him onto the boat, it was faith. It was a step of faith, and that's what Jesus is trying to teach a lot of times. Do you trust me? Do you believe in me? Do you have faith in me? 
And so we need to expect the supernatural. Expect to see the miracles, the, 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 the divine power of God. Expect to, to feel a supernatural kind of comfort and peace in your life. Expect to feel that comfort that only by having Christ in your life, only through Christ can you feel that. Doesn't matter how big the, the, the storm is. Remember what Jesus says. Remember, he says, it is I. Don't be afraid. Who is I? Who is I? The great I am. <laughs> the almighty God. The one who spoke the world, the, the, the universe into existence. The one who speaks dead, the dead back to life. That is who is with you. Why should you be afraid? The Prince of Peace. The one who says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? The one who says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. What are those thoughts? The thoughts of peace, not of evil of peace, peace be still to give you a future, to give you hope. That is who I is. It is I, don't be afraid. Let's pray.